1: Anisa Ramirez is an award-winning scientist and science communicator who is passionate about getting the general public excited about science. A graduate of Brown University, she earned her doctorate in material science and engineering from Stanford. Dr. Ramirez started her career as a scientist at Bell Laboratories in Murray Hill, New Jersey, and later worked as an associate professor of mechanical engineering at Yale. She authored the books, The Alchemy of Us and Save Our Science, and co-authored Newton's Football. She has written for Forbes, Time, The Atlantic, Scientific American, American Scientist, and Science, and has explained science headlines on CBS, CNN, NPR, ESPN, and PBS. Dr. Ramirez speaks widely on the topics of science and technology and gave a TED Talk on the importance of science education. She has been awarded prizes from the National Science Foundation, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and the American Institute of Physics. She speaks internationally on the importance of making science fun and has served as a science advisor to the American Film Institute, WGBH-NOVA, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, and several science museums. She also hosts a science podcast called Science Underground. Dr. Ramirez, thank you and welcome to our program today. Oh, thank you so much. So first things first and full disclosure, I am obsessed with this book. (laughs) I I was drawn in rather quickly from the title and the first few pages. Um, Is it fair to say that this book is about... um, as you talk about eight inventions, clocks, steel, rails, copper, communication, cables, etc and how those inventions reveal um, and sort of shape the human experience.
0: That's right. The, the Alchemy of Us, How Humans and Matter Transform One Another is a book that explores eight inventions and it shows how they transformed us. And they transformed us in ways that are very, very surprising. Surprising to me when I was looking, when I was writing the book. Uh, I show how uh, the steel, sorry, how copper communication cables, which, were, which made the telegraph possible, allowed us to send messages very rapidly, which was the intention. But because of the limitation of the telegraph and its inability to handle lots of messages, uh, telegraph officers would tell people to be brief. And as such, language started to become shaped by the telegraph. Uh, There were many other influences to American English, but that short declarative sentences that we know now uh, was kind of ushered in because of the telegraph. Right. And so more than just about
1: innovation, um, it is also about how innovation
0: catalyzes social change and vice versa, right? Absolutely. There's a lot of books that uh, profile different technologies. You know, this inventor made this, this inventor made this. Uh, but I wanted to, of course, show the inventors, and I show little-known inventors for very simple devices. But then I take the next step and say, okay, now that this invention happened, how did life change? So right. it's the next step. Uh, you know, most movies, they will show a couple meeting and getting married, and that's the end of the movie. And right. I'm not doing that. I'm showing you, okay, what's the next day look like? <laughs> and yeah, what right. does a couple of years look like? <laughs> right. uh, the real right. story.
1: Yeah. And so the alchemy of us challenges the reader. Um, and, I, and I think this was, I mean, you have to tell us, but I, I believe this is probably um, by, um, uh, th- this was your intention, to challenge the reader to really understand that throughout time, emerging tech, emerging technologies carried with them experiences and social context of their creators. And that means that we should not assume that innovation and emerging technology um, necessarily means progress, right? So in fact, you talk about, um, I mean, there are a few scenarios in the book um, where we might, um, as, as readers, recognize regression
0: as opposed to um, progress. Um, and, yeah. That's a, that's a very good question. Um, when I was writing The Alchemy of Us, I was really uh, showing science in the context that it happened, the history, what was going on, at the time, what was going on for the inventor. A lot of books don't do that. They kind of pull out the science and pull out the inventor as if this is all happening in a vacuum. I didn't want that to be the case. I really tell a full story of the evolution of things. And what readers are going to see is that technology never is neutral uh, because it's part of the society that it came from. It's an extension of the inventor. And so you're going to see that technology was created by certain inventors and they kind of just kept themselves in mind when they were making it. And so when it goes out into the world, it doesn't really uh, work for the whole planet. And why is that? That's because the person really just kind of focused on their own situation, their own world. So technology does that today. But what I was really trying to show is that technology is not neutral. It's just an extension of the person who made it.
1: Right. Right. It, you know that brings to mind uh, something that, and I, I'll foreshadow a little bit in our conversation. Um, something that one of the um, uh, one of the tensions in the book that comes out uh, in the uh, the discussion about Polaroid and um, and uh, South Africa. Um, one of the um, let's say uh, members or, or parties in a. a attention-filled discussion, shall we say, mm-hmm. uh, shall we say, it uh, says, you know, I'm, I'm upset, um, because, uh, they are preventing me and, and I'm probably gonna, uh, uh, you know, sort of gobble this, this quote, but I'm upset because they're preventing me from accomplishing my personal goals. Um, right,
0: so I, right. when, you
1: know, when I read that, I was like, wow, that is, that is really so disconnected, <laughs> um, uh, from, <laughs> from, right. from this concept of, um, wide reaching uh technology that you know that the company expected to to have but this idea of but this wide reaching should also sort of be isolate the benefit should be mine, the burden should not. Um
0: it was very interesting. Um, oh you yeah you you phrased that particularly well. I mean it the story that you're talking about is the Polaroid story. It's uh chapter four in the alchemy of us and I talk about two uh two employees of Polaroid who find that their employer is actually sending their wonderful new technology of instant photographs to South Africa during the apartheid regime. And right. that this camera film is actually buttressing this oppressive government because each Black South African has to carry with them a, a passbook. And in the passbook is a picture made by Polaroid. That's right. And, and so, so we're definitely going to get deeper into that, okay.
1: Um, okay. further into the conversation, but I just want to, um, one of my favorite quotes, um, you know, sort of, uh, uh, into that, uh, mm-hmm. from the book is that you say that technology and humankind must co-create, but not at the cost of humanity itself. Um, so I thought that, you know, just so, so great, so poignant, um, and so clear, mm-hmm. um, just backing up a little bit, why don't you tell us how you came, um, to this book what m- motivated you to write the book
0: in this way? Oh that's a very good question um, Well I'm a material scientist and uh, I've been looking for a way to make this topic this little known topic uh, compelling to people mm-hmm. and in the past, I would do things like show science videos where you would see uh, material that you may have not have seen before do something interesting mm-hmm. and those those videos were were popular but I didn't think that they really comp- uh, they really got the message across of how important knowing about science is it was more entertainment and so i said look i have to take a different approach and there were there were books out there that once again they profiled materials like this is how this material evolved and isn't this great and uh i didn't want to do that because as i mentioned before that you know that's the beginning of the story not the end of the story mm-hmm. and so what i wanted to do is show this dance you create something but that's not the end of the sentence. It Actually changes you in somehow in some way, and I had been looking for books that did that, but I didn 't find any and so that was kind of what propelled me to look at, the, uh, look at this, um, to look at the dance between humans and matter and to write this book and, and do so by telling stories uh, i didn 't want it to just be a very dry narrative. this happened, this happened, this happened. I, I show the reader how things happen. I don't just tell the reader. So they're, they're in it. They're, they're going along with the hero in their journey and also seeing how things changed as a result of their work.
1: Yes. And so that, you know, that is so clear in the, in the reading of the book. Um, It, it really uh, allows us to see your curated approach to crafting the story as a whole Hmm. um, from, as, as you would say, these individual, um, sort of shards. Um, and, and it keeps us reading and rereading. Um, <laughs> and, and I just, I, I just think um, what I found in the reading and how detailed um, and sort of um, um, clear it was um, that there were, I mean, obviously you did a ton of, of research for the book. Um, and you had all of these details, though, about the human person, Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so you knew, you knew what train, right? <laughs> right who be, or which bus people would be taking, right? You knew about their wives, right? And so that, I mean, to me, that, that speaks to um, not just uh, deep research and archival sort of work, but, you know, and that you visited these places, but um, you really dug into their lives and understood what their experiences were like while they were creating and trying to, you know, sort of bring these. Uh, these
0: uh, innovations to the world. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like? Well, uh, you just have some excellent questions here. I I did spend a lot of time in the archives and um, I know that details make stories more interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I didn't want to gloss over things. Oh, this guy was married to that person or this guy invented that person. I wanted to know a little bit more about the dynamics about the person who they were. Um, Also, you know, the book is about inventions and a lot of the inventions are, are created by men of European descent. And Mm -hmm. I wanted it to resonate with a broad audience. Well, how was I going to do that? Well, I was going to show how human they were. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one, one gentleman, JJ Thompson, who's one of my favorite, he was an absolute klutz in the laboratory. Um, (laughs) I, I found that to be very endearing and very charming. Uh, he's a Nobel laureate. He discovered the atom, I mean, discovered the electron because he figured out uh, how this cathode ray moved. But that would have been possible because he needed a glass bulb to make that happen. And so he really needed his assistant to be his arms because he was just going to break everything. Mm-hmm. Um I used to revere JJ, but now I like him because, as a person, because <laughs> yes. he's just he's just flawed like the rest of us, you know. So, um, so I think that showing people's flaws and failings uh, is important to make them seem human, so that the stories resonate and and also so everyone else feels like, oh, this guy, he was kind of a klutz. If he can do that, I can do that. I wanted people to also feel that science was in their do- domain too.
1: Yeah. I love that story, um, especially when uh, you write that Ebenezer told him, um, <laughs> do not touch anything.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> when you come into the lab, do not touch anything. Do, then, yeah, yeah. And when, and, when, and when he did sit down, like everybody just calmed. are like, okay, nothing's right. going to break. <laughs> <laughs> including his students, right? <laughs> they including were his moving. students. He's he like, I'll help. And everybody would be like, no, no, no. And they'd move things away because they knew he right. was just going to break things.
1: Oh my gosh, that's that's just great! One of the the many great details that um, that make this book amazing. Um, so, how did you choose the inventors um, and subjects? Um, were there others uh, who did not make
0: the book? Um, maybe we'll see them in a follow up
1: project. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> let's see. So, one of the things that I would really help me was the architecture of the book. So, if we get into like how you make the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chapters are eight chapters, and they're titled with verbs. Right, and I do that because it, the book is about how these inventions changed us. And one of the most personal things I could think of for the human experience is how that mean how the meaning of that verb changed. Mm-hmm. So how we connect, how we share, how we think has been changed by this technology. Right. Uh, so that was outward facingly great, so that readers can see how things uh, change. But for someone who's building the book, uh, that also made it easier. It, it was, well, it was never easy, but it, it helped in uh, determining what stories to include. Uh, if, if that story, as fascinating as it seemed, did not pertain, it did not connect with the topic, like if I'm writing about something and it has nothing to do with this verb share, but it's just very cool, it has to go. So it's in the Kill Darling file. That doesn't, that doesn't, get, that doesn't get to be part of the book. Right. So so um so that rubric of does it fit this theme, uh really helped to decide what made it and what did not. Uh and some things I mean there was a lot of things that didn't make it. I I wrote twice as much as what's in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh and and some of the cutting was that some stories did not need to be as long. They served their purpose as they were short, it just kept the motion of the book going. And then there were some stories that uh as much as I had worked hard to uh, make people exciting, I just couldn't get enough about them. Uh, Mm -hmm. So they had, they didn't make it. Uh, And, um, and, you know, I had subjects that like I had Harriet Tugman in the book. She was great, but she was part of a different theme that that got removed. So she had to go. So Mm -hmm. things like that happened, but essentially the, the fortune was that the, the architecture of the chapters really was a guiding point to help me decide what stays and what doesn't stay.
1: Right. So, Let's get into some more details um, about the, the inventor subjects, um, starting with the timekeeper Ruth Elville, What a fascinating story about selling time um, and how surreal to be reading about how we keep time and how this interacts with other technology like the light bulbs impact how we sleep um, or do not sleep through mm, the modern mm-hmm. era now. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially during a pandemic. So tell us a little <laughs> bit, just a little bit about that and, and maybe um, um, share your thoughts on, you know, how that story is so poignant and, and
0: relevant uh, at this time that we're all going through. Well, uh, so in the first chapter, which is called Interact, it, it talks about how the development of clocks changed us. And I know that doesn't sound exciting, but that's what I needed to do. I needed to find something that would hook people in. Mm -hmm. One of the first things I did before I get into the character that brings us into this world is I found that we used to sleep differently before the industrial revolution. Uh, We used to sleep in two different segments, uh, three and a half hours, wake up for about an hour, and then go back to sleep for about three and a half hours. And what changed that was twofold. It was the clock because we had to get up early to go to the factory. So that truncated one of those segments. And it was also the light bulb, which truncated the earlier one because we went to bed later. And then those two became consolidated. And that's sort of how we sleep today. So I already had something to show people like, hey, this simple thing called the clock, well, let's change how we sleep. So I was pretty excited about that. But I was still trying to figure out how to pull people into this world of timekeeping because- This world of horology is well-studied, and it's also, I will say, a little dry. Um, You know, no one wants to know about the makings and the workings of a clock. Only a certain group of people do. And and I've gone to those meetings, and they're great, but not everybody's going to love it. Right. So as I'm reading this very, very thick on the study of of clocks, uh, I see one sentence in this thick book that mentions that in the 19th century, there was a woman in England who sold time. And I just said, "Stop right there." Who is this woman? And I dug into it, and I found out that in the 19th century, there was a woman named Ruth Belville, and she sold time. Uh, the world was becoming more obsessed with time, and so she had this business where she would leave her home, which was outside of London, make her way to London, and then to the Royal Observatory, which is where the precise time was. She would be carrying her precise she would be carrying her watch that she nicknamed Arnold with her. She would give her watch to the gate, to the uh, attendant and the attendant would compare her watch to their scientific clocks, give her a certificate that indicated the difference between those two. She'd make her way down the Hill over to London and then show her watch to different businesses like train stations and newspapers and factories that needed to know the precise time. Mm -hmm. Now I, I fell in love with Ruth because she, you know, as a, from the structure of the book, she really showed how important timekeeping was because someone could have a business based on it. Um, if I were to sell time now, you would tell me that would be a bad business because well, everybody everybody has a clock. So she was really good to show that. Also, she was just so she was just a fascinating character to pull you in that a woman sold time. So she's the first person you meet uh, when you read the Alchemy of Us.
1: Right. Right. I have to I have to tell you that um my sister and I have been discussing changing um our light bulbs in our homes because of chapters <laughs> one and five. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, uh and, and and also discussing, you know, Ruth Belleville. I wish there were more um, you know, out there about her, but you definitely gave us um uh some some amazing tidbits um, about her work. Um that said, my favorite chapter, though, of the book is chapter four, Capture. Um, mm, yeah. I, I, for, the, for myself, for, um, and I think for you know, other readers, um, uh, I, I, it seems like it's the heart of the book that really brings the tension between innovation versus progress or lack of progress to light in um, and, and these sort of comparative examinations. Um, the way you build the story, starting with Frederick Douglass and how he uses photography uh, in the 19th century, um, the creation and use of Shelley cards, and then the progression to Caroline Hunter, Ken Williams, and Polaroid, um, really kind of opens up this. I think that's when I really understood that there that invention, how you were talking about invention, really um, an innovation, really. Uh, has this tension.
0: Um, and so why don't you talk to us a little bit about capture chapter four? Sure. Uh, well, I'm actually going to go back a little further in okay. chapter four, uh, because the, the book starts with something that seems fairly innocent, a desire to take a picture of a horse running quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's Edward Mybridge. A lot of people will know about him and then I, and he's well-known. And then I tell the story of, uh, a, an inventor who was a preacher who created camera film before George Eastman and ends up in a big legal battle. Right. And so, you know, something very innocent and then you're like, okay, a little bit of a legal battle. And then the next story we get into showing how photography uh, is not really an innocent endeavor uh, that it actually captures, and that's the name of the, chatt- the chapter, it actually captures the culture as well. And so we see, you know, Frederick Douglass, using photography as a way to change the mindset of people, of what they think about African Americans. He was one of the most photographed people in the world, and he was using his countenance as a way to show what a African American looks like, not the Sambo images that were in newspapers. So he was using that as a political tool. So we've gone from innocent desire to capture a horse, to a little bit of a legal wrangling, to whoa, this is This this guy is using this as a tool to uh, break stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And then we see that photography can be also used as a tool of oppression. Mm -hmm. And here we discover uh, some heroes of mine, Caroline Hunter and Ken Williams, who were uh, employees of Polaroid in the early 1970s. Now, they're young people, you know, in their 20s and in their 30s. They find out that their employer is actually selling their instant photography system to to South Africa, which is requiring all of its Black South African citizens to carry a passbook. If you're over 16, you have to carry this passbook. And it monitors and controls where you can go. And at the heart of that passbook is a picture made by Polaroid. Now, Caroline and Ken didn't think this is right. They knew about the history of Polaroid and just the year before the UN said that American companies should cease and desist from interacting with uh, South African companies. So they want to know what's their company doing there. And and you have to, I have to back up. Polaroid was like a much beloved company. It was like the Apple when Steve jobs was in charge. It was right. like everybody loved Polaroid people who, who worked there, they loved Edwin land. They worshiped him just like people did for Steve jobs. Mm-hmm. So this just seemed to be counter to what they would think about their company. And so you can see in the chapter, there's a lot of black and white, a very innocent technology being used for a dark side. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of is the progression of the chapter. And so um, Caroline and Ken go and do something about uh, preventing Polaroid from sen- selling its uh, film to, uh, to South Africa. And and that's what I spell out in the alchemy bus. I'm not going to give it away, but uh, yeah. it took many years for them to do so. Uh, but it was, again, because they saw that this simple, much beloved technology in the United States was being used for a dark enterprise uh, 8,000 miles away. Right, right. And, you know, I, the story,
1: again, just the weaving of all of these stories just makes, um, as you said the some of these uh and the contrast makes some of these unknown um sort of uh uh tales about inventions that um that we know we think we know a lot about but the in the background there's all of this other information that comes through when you really dig into the human story um and how the invention is used or not used um throughout uh history so that you know chapter four, and we won't give away all of the, the other great details there. <laughs> um,
0: but but, but, but can, it, I, can I just jump in, though, because yeah. you make a very good point. When, when we write books about the technology itself, uh, we, we're off the hook about talking about its impact and, and it, where, what culture it comes from. If you read books about, techno, uh, about Polaroid today, and I have a lot of them, they never mention this chapter. Mm -hmm. Uh, this 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 interaction with South Africa and Polaroid's history is weaved with South Africa there's no they were in there since 1938 till about uh the 80s so they've they've been there they've they have a long history with South Africa but if Mm -hmm. you read books about technology they will just show how cool it is to make this camera or if they if they will tell the story about Caroline and Ken Williams um they they write them as fanatical people
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. So um so it really so what I'm trying to get across and being long-winded is it's really important to see it's really important that everyone takes a stab at writing these stories if we really want to get a full uh sense of what went on. Absolutely. I, and I think that is
1: a um great segue into um kind of walking through the last chapter think mm-hmm. um because in that chapter you really kind of bring home um, this, this, the concept, right, which is not an easy concept, um, about how our technology, um, is, is, um, really changing the way we think, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, not understanding the social context and, um, and sort of these human stories, um, you know, sort of leaves a cloud when we think about okay, well, how is the technology actually impacting us? Um, it's sort of like this this hidden piece.
0: Um, talk a little bit about think. Well, think is the uh, the last chapter of the alchemy of us, and uh, that verb of thinking I thought would be the most personal for us as humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we can connect, connect, or we can convey, or if we can share, uh, we feel a, we feel we feel either way about those things, but if how it changes, we, how we think that I can't think of it to, you know, that I thought would be, you know, alarming to people. Mm-hmm. And it ends up that the, the computer has changed the way that we think the internet in particular. Uh, we have a new relationship with information. Uh, we don't necessarily feel like we need to remember things because we know where to get it. In fact, they've done studies and they say when, When we remember things, we don't remember what the information is, but we remember uh, where the information is. So I don't know my mother's phone number, but I know where to get it. And so in the past, I would have known, I know my childhood phone number, but I don't know my mother's phone number today. Mm -hmm. And people may say, well, no big deal. Well, it ends up that one of the great things about being human is that we create. And to create, we need to have information come into our heads. And let our subconscious play with those ideas, put them in new ways, and then send us new information or new ideas based on that. Mm -hmm. But if we don't feel like we need to put things in our head, then creativity is going to be degraded to some extent. Maybe it'll manifest a different way, but the way that I know creativity, I feel will degrade. Mm -hmm. So so I talk about think because, you know, uh, these technologies that we've embraced they are actually changing the thing that's most personal about us, and so if we do like it, well, we should continue. But if we don't like it, then we need to make some changes. And so that's what I say at the the last bit of the alchemy of us. Right,
1: right, just fantastic. Um, I I don't want to. Um... Uh, belabor the point, um, but I I do want to talk just very briefly about the annotated bibliography because (laughs) this is is a part of the book, right, that really separates, um, I mean, amongst other things uh, in in this fantastic text, but it really separates itself from a lot of other books about technology. So I I got the sense that that the way you see it's almost like the the annotated bibliography is like I don't know maybe you'll tell us this but are like these breadcrumbs for um, other people that maybe they will um, take up some stories that you're um, sort of you know excavating for us um, and and would like to know more about. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, I I wonder, you know, what was the motivation to make the annotated, to include an annotated
0: bibliography um, and with, um, again, such detail? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, The annotated bibliography was an idea that I actually got from the good folks at the Sloan Foundation. Uh, I reached out to them and got a grant uh, for the book, for the pictures, because there's quite, there's 100 pictures in the book, over maybe 102 pictures. And uh, that's a newbie mistake to have so many pictures in a book, because pictures are expensive, my yeah. friends. So, uh, so shout out to the Sloan Foundation uh, for providing me the means to, to acquire those pictures. Uh, but they also said, and I, I, you know, and I, you know, I'm a writer, so I'm not seeing what they're seeing. But they're like, this book—it's more than a textbook; it's a resource that people are going to love for the stories. Mm -hmm. But maybe if they want to know more about where I got the information, they're going to, they're going to say, hey, where did she get this information? And so that's where the annotated bibliography comes in. And it's a map. If you want to know more about Ruth Belville, the lady who sold time, Mm -hmm. uh, look, there's a small book about her and she's mentioned in these articles. So, so, and I, i many people have said, oh yeah, um, I wanted to know more about so-and-so and I saw it in the annotated bibliography and I grabbed this, or I looked at your references, which pointed me to that direction. So, so they're breadcrumbs. They are just a small map for people who want to know more. Mm-hmm. It, and it's also to let people say that, you know, I've looked at a lot of books. I've looked at the, the original materials and I saw something different than the person who wrote the book before me. Right, And so I'm giving you where I went and you take a look and you may see something different than what I saw. And if you write your book and they write their book and I write my book, we're going to get a full picture of what's right. going on. So it's it's a way to kind of pass the baton to the next generation. Right. So what will I mean, what's next for you? What's what's the follow up project? Everybody asks what's next. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I want to say nap, but I can't say yeah. nap. Yeah. Uh, well, no, nap is good. Nap was good. good. Nap is good. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm busy with, uh, ushering this book into the world, but right. I do have another project, uh, that, uh, I have a children's book that's on the horizon. As I was writing this book, I stumbled onto what I call the 19th century hidden figures. It's an African American woman who got a patent in 1892, who's from New Haven. So I'm going to write a children's book about her. Oh, wow. Um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited. And she found me because I was writing somebody, I was writing about Samuel Morse. I was looking at his materials and accidentally a slip of paper about her was in his stuff. So yeah. Isn't so, that amazing? Yeah. So that's, that's the uh, serendipity that happens at the archives. I'm also writing a book. One of my favorite writers is Primo Levi. He wrote a book uh, called The Periodic Table where he... He explains his life using elements of the periodic table. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to try and model something like that for material science. Oh, fantastic. Very exciting. Yeah. Um, That'll that'll take me a couple of years, just like this book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So, and this book took about what, two,
0: two and a half years? No, 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 no. no, no. Uh, Yeah. I, I thought it was going to take two and a half. It was like double that. It was like between four and five years. Okay, got it, yeah. Um, Going to archives all over the United States, in the UK, uh, and then writing in tandem. Yeah. Wow, amazing. Well,
1: Anissa, um, I would like to end our interview with an excerpt from your book. Um, If that's okay, may I ask you to
0: read a passage? Sure, I'm going to read from the epilogue. So you've already seen... Eight chapters, different types of stories, seeing the impact of how uh, technology has come about. And in the introduction, you see a little bit of me and the motivation. And then for eight chapters, you don't see me at all. And then I pop back out in, in the epilogue. So I would just want to read uh, three paragraphs from that. Okay, epilogue. The writing of The Alchemy of Us was bookended by two quotes attributed to Nobel laureate Toni Morrison. The first of these quotes is one I was familiar with from the beginning of this project, for it served as the book's catalyst. If there is a book you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, said Morrison, you must be the one to write it. From my experience as a Black woman scientist, I often found that my reflection in textbooks was hidden, missing, overshadowed, or cast in a poor light. When it was my opportunity to write about technology, I heeded Morrison's word. Admittedly, when I began writing this book, I initially subscribed to the established ways of thinking about science and technology and was bound up with the retelling of old stories of white men and their inventions. But the writing of this book led to my own alchemy. A surprising fire shut up in my bones halted me from writing stories where my own reflection was missing. In addition to this visceral response, I also grew to understand the power of reflection and that every reader needs to see themselves in these stories. As such, I attempted to create mirrors within the text. The inventors highlighted in this book had talents, but also shortcomings, which are ingredients we all have. So in these pages, I've tried to uncover and display their complexity and their humanness, so readers, whether in the sciences or not, whether of the same demographic as the inventors or not, can connect with these characters on some level and see something familiar. I would have loved to have had such a book while taking my engineering courses so long ago. One set of books in my backpack would have filled my head, but this book would have fed my soul. When books about technology reflect readers, those readers come away with more than just stories, but a sense that they can create too. When books display the failings and failures of inventors, readers come away with the feeling that they can meet challenges too. When these readers feel empowered in these ways, they consequently feel emboldened to make decisions for themselves. This is the sensibility at the heart of this book. These pages illustrate not only that everyone has an admission ticket to create, but that everyone must also critically critique their creations. Such a thoughtful analysis of the impact of inventions benefits society, not just because it's an entertaining cerebral exercise, but because when, ca- when coupled with, social, when, with action and social change, it has the potential to help society transcend its condition and favorably further this alchemy of us.
1: Thank wonderful, you.
0: wonderful, wonderful. Thank you
1: for joining us, Dr. Ramirez. The book is The Alchemy of Us, How Humans and Matter Transformed One Another, a beautifully written and captivating book by Dr. Anissa Ramirez. It is nothing short of a revelation. I hope you have enjoyed our discussion on New Books and Technology, a channel on the New Books Network. I am Najarian Peters. Bye for now.